The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. My Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's word and my life will never be the same because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Well, today is uh, our continuation of what we've been talking about, living victoriously. And uh, coincidentally, it coincides with the point where we're talking about uh, the resurrection and what that means to you and how you can live a life of victory through that. Amen? So let us go now to our foundational scripture, which is 1 John chapter number 5, and we're going to read from verse 4. 1 John chapter number 5. Uh, verse 4. We discovered that God wants you and I to live victoriously. Amen? Uh, If God is going to use us effectively uh, to change people's lives uh, in this world, we have to live our lives victoriously. God can't do much with uh, uh, prejudiced folk. He can't do much with hurting folk. He can't do much with hateful folk. And like Dillian said, God can't do much with broke folk. Because if he tells you to go to Polokwane and preach the gospel, you may not have bus fare. Yeah. Hallelujah! Yeah. Amen? So you've got to get some things going uh, if you're going to help someone else. Amen? Yeah. And, and God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have means Amen. so that you can change other people's lives. He said to Abraham, in blessing, in blessing others, I will bless you. So you have to be uh, at that place of victory if you're going to change other people's lives. Amen. So it says in 1 John 5 verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. That's a declaration. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What's that victory? Our faith. And if you're reading in the New Living Translation, it says, For every. Someone say every. Notice it didn't say some. Notice he didn't say only the ones in the fivefold. He said, for every child of God defeats this evil world. Man, that's awesome. That means victory is available for every single child of God. Amen? He says, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory, how? Through our faith. Amen? And God has already given us this gift called faith. Uh, We found out that, you know, we have obtained, just like Peter and the rest of the disciples, all of us have obtained a like precious faith. And uh, Romans chapter number 2 verse 3 says, uh, we have been given the measure of faith. So all of us have received uh, an equal amount of faith. And like we learned last week, uh, that this faith is available to your use, just like your muscles are available to your use. But the way you use your muscles will determine how much you can get out of uh, your muscles. Amen? So we discovered that if you don't use this faith, uh, you will lose it. 
And we said you don't lose it like, you know, you lose your car keys. Where's my car keys? I don't know where that is. No, you lose it in the sense that it atrophies, just like the muscle. It loses its dexterity, its ability to function. Amen? And that's what has happened to most people concerning their life of faith. They have lost the, the, the ability to function in faith. And part of it is because, uh, you know, they, they just don't understand some of the things that we are talking about. And one of the things uh, we found out is that faith is a law. Say that after me. Faith, faith. is a law. And this law is governed by certain guidelines, just like, you know, uh, uh, flying, the law of aviation and flying is governed by the law of thrust, the law of drag, the law of lift. They have to combine together to get an A380, 500,000 ton object to be airborne from here for 16 hours from here to uh, Atlanta. It's the law of Flying is the law of aviation. And here we have something called the law of faith, according to Romans 3.27. Faith is a law, and because it's a law, you can be sure that it works. Watch this, all the time. Amen? Faith works all the time. It does not work some of the time. It works all the time. All you need to do is to apply uh, the principles of law, and you can be guaranteed that you will get uh, the results that are faith-based. Amen? And uh, we did say that there were five ingredients that make faith work. What was number one? You must understand the what? The supremacy of the word of God. Amen? You must know that God's word is not just a collection of opinions, but it is life. It is a bag of seed that when you sow in your heart, you can be expectant of a harvest. Amen? Number two, we discovered that it is the love of God that makes your faith work. Without understanding how much God loves you, your faith is just not going to work. So, love is like petrol to your car. It is like diesel to your car. So, when you are running out of faith, uh, you're not necessarily running out of faith. You're running out of a revelation of how much God loves you. Amen? And when you don't understand how much God loves you, your faith will stop working. Because you will go into legalism. You will go into what the Bible calls works and nothing stops the power of God more than a life of works or trying to earn some things from God. Amen. I said amen. And the, the, the third thing we talked about last week was that we access the arena of grace. How? Through faith. Amen. amen. This is your password into everything that God has already done for you. It is through uh, faith. And faith is easy. Faith is simply responding to what God has already done uh, through Jesus. And today we're talking about our righteousness in God. Amen? Our righteousness in God. It will make your faith work when you understand your righteousness in God. Wait a minute. These guys who ran two oceans are back here already. Did you guys run back here already as well? <laughs> thought you were going to spend some time in Cape Town, but... Anyway, uh, uh, today we're talking about the righteousness of God because it's a vital element, an ingredient for your faith to work. And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, the law of confession if we finish with what we are dealing uh, with today. So the story of Easter, commonly known as Easter, I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. And part of the reason why uh, we don't have a Good Friday service is simply because the Bible says uh, he was dead for three days and three nights. And, uh, I, you know, at the beginning of the year uh, 2014, I called all the uh, mathematicians and the engineers in the church, and I asked if they could fit two, three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning. 
and they couldn't. So we decided we're not going to do anything because the man didn't die on Friday. Though Friday is a good day because it's Friday, we will celebrate Good Friday. But the man did not die on Friday. You can get your calculators when you go home. It's try and fit three days and three nights. The Bible says prophetically when Jonah was in the belly, you know, speaking of our coming Messiah, it says he was in the belly for three days and three nights. So I just couldn't fit it and it just didn't fit. And I don't like to do things just for the sake of doing them. If it doesn't make sense, I am, you can count me out. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Amen. So that's the reason. Some of you are asking, are we having church on Friday? Why? Because Jesus died today. No, he didn't. So the story begins in the Garden of Eden, where Adam submitted himself uh, to the serpent. You remember the story? Uh, Adam submitted himself to the serpent. And what that did is it plunged the whole humanity into sin. Amen? The Bible says in Romans 6.16, to whom you yield your members or your, your, your servants to, servants are you to obey, whether of sin unto death or of righteousness unto life, obedience unto righteousness. Amen? So, whoever you uh, uh, submit yourself to, you become a slave to. So, what happened is our representative, Adam, when he submitted himself to the serpent, to Satan in the garden, it plunged the whole humanity into sin. So you didn't have to commit a sin physically for you to become a sinner. You were born a sinner. Amen? Disconnected from God. Where do we see that? Let us go to Romans chapter number 3. We're going to read from verse 25. So because of what Adam did, there was a judgment. And that's what we are getting ready to read. Romans chapter number 3, verse 25. It says, for all, how many? All. So God looked on the earth, and because of Adam's transgressions, he declared all of us sinners. Not because of the act of sin, but because of what uh, Adam did. Amen? He said, for all have sinned. And what happened? They have come short of the glory of God. That word glory in the Greek is the word doxa, which means they missed it. They came short of perfection. And you will never attain this perfection in your own strength. That's why all of the saints in the Old Testament, all the way until Jesus, none of them could be declared righteous based on their works. You know why? Because God's standard was so high, no man could meet it for themselves except one man, Jesus the Christ. Yeah. Amen? amen? I said amen. amen. In fact, he said when you try in your own effort to attain this righteousness, God declared to the children of Israel when they were trying. He says your own righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's the undertoned version of the Bible. The actual translation is when you try to attain your own salvation, it's like menstrual rags. That's, what, that's how God sees it. When you think you have done so much in your strength, to get God to approve of you according to your works. God looks at it and he says it does not meet the standard. Amen? Because the standard was so high. So what did God do? God declared all of us sin, sinners. Amen? We became sinners because of what 
Adam did. In verse 24, God began to come up with a plan. And he says in verse 24, being justified. Someone shout, I am justified. He says, being justified for how much? I didn't hear that. See, salvation does not cost you anything. Though it cost Jesus something, it does not cost you anything. This is why the Easter sermon, the Easter story, is not a story of showing you a formula. It is the story of showing you the escape route. You see, all over social media, I was reading disturbing things from Christians. They were saying today, Good Friday again, Jesus has shown us the way of the cross. Now it's time for you and I to face our own crosses. That was never God's plan. God's plan was for Jesus to face the cross so that you never have to face the cross. But it's amazing how we look at it in the church. Jesus suffered, so I must suffer too. In fact, most traditional churches on Good Friday do a lot of penance. And they, they, some of them crawl for two kilometers and three kilometers in glass just so they can also carry their cross. No, the reason Jesus died on the cross was so that you could never have to go to the cross. Because the judgment passed on you. You had a sword over your head that said guilty. We were all guilty. Not because of what we did, but because of what Adam did. All sinned. Everybody sinned and came short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Someone say redemption. What that means is we were brought back. Amen? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Someone say propitiation. He says to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Man, this is awesome. Today we're going to be talking about two concepts uh, of salvation. That brings salvation uh, to you and me. The first one is redemption, which simply means to buy back. We were all born in the slave market of sin and slavery because of what Adam did. You and I were born slaves to sin, slaves to the desires of the flesh, slaves to the curse, slaves to everything that came as a result of sin. You didn't have a choice in the matter. You know why? Because a child of a slave is a slave. Amen? It's not like you get born and they ask you, would you like to be? No, you're already a slave. So Jesus said to redeem us. In English, that word just simply means to buy us back from that slave market. Amen? And the second word is to uh, propitiation, which means to satisfy the demands of justice. How many of you realize God is a just God? God is a just God, and God, when Adam did what he did, he just couldn't show up from heaven and say, hold on, wait a minute, game over, we're going to start all over again. No, he couldn't. He had to play by the rules which he set. And guess what the rules said? The rules said Adam had submitted himself to the enemy and sin entered into the world because of what Adam did. He transgressed against God. And because of that, God had to bring a penalty, a judgment, if he is to be a just God. Let me give it to you in another way. If you were caught speeding, you know, you, you're driving above 60, and uh, the place says 60, and you are driving 150, and because it's been, you know, uh, uh, 30 
kilometers an hour above, you know, the, the 60 zone, they will take you straight to court. How do I know that? <laughs> You're going straight to court. They don't even give you a speeding ticket. You're going straight to court. And when they take you to court, and uh, 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 as you walk into the court, you find out that one of your church members is, is the judge. Praise the Lord. Amen. Man, it it changes everything. Amen. You walk in and it changes everything. And they are there, you know, they're smiling. Hello, pastor. What are you in here for? It's for speeding. What were you doing? I was doing 156 when the thing said 60. You know, I was just praying in tongues and, you know, I missed the thing. How many of you realize that this judge Though they are my friend, as long as they are sitting in the judge's seat, wearing the judge's robe, with a gavel, gavel? Is that what it's called? With a gavel in their hand, they have to go by the constitution and not by our friendship. So as long as they are sitting in that thing, you know what they're going to declare? Guilty. To my surprise. Because I thought I was your pastor. And they'll hit that thing and say guilty. But you know what else they can do? They'll take off the robe. They'll take off the gown. Leave the chair. And come into the courtroom where I am. Stand with me. And say you don't have to worry. You know why? Because I'm going to pull out my check card. And take care of the penalty. This is exactly what God did. God had to declare us guilty. But not only that. He came in the form of a human. A friend and stood next to us and went to the cross as a man and said, you know what, I'm going to pay the penalty for them. And because of that, we were set free and we were told to walk free. Amen? Because of what Jesus Christ did. And Isaiah began to prophesy this. Let's read in Isaiah chapter number 59. And that is the concept of propitiation. It's the concept of Jesus appeasing the wrath of God. The so-called wrath of God, which was caused uh, by, you know, the law. Basically, the wrath of God was released when the law came into effect. Amen? Uh, that's Romans chapter number 4 verse 15. If you want to check it out later. It says, because of the law, because the law worketh wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. And because of that, the wrath of God was out there looking for you and I, but Jesus appeased uh, the wrath of God because he paid for our sin. Amen? He says in Isaiah uh, 59 from verse 1 to 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. This is Isaiah prophesying. He's saying the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, again, that word iniquity is the word sin. Amen. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So what happened when Adam did what he did? There was a separation between man and God. And this is why when you read in Leviticus chapter number 16 and 17, every year annually the priests would come and they would atone for the people's sins, but not all of them could go in and meet with God. Only the Levites would do that. They would come and meet with you and find out, you know, what your transgressions are. But in that process, in his love, forbearance, because God loved us so much, he did it on credit. It's not like the animal was equal to the human, because if you're going to have a perfect sacrifice, it has to be equal, one as to one. The dollar and the uh, bonds, the bonds. 
You can't have the other rage. Let's be honest to one. But this one was a, 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 an animal because of God's forbearance. God was saying, you know what? I know you're sinners, but guess what? Because of my love and my forbearance, instead of you dying, you can bring a perfect sacrifice, an animal. And you'd bring an animal. And the priest, here's what's awesome. This is an awesome revelation. The priest, when you'd bring an animal, would never inspect the person. He would always inspect the sacrifice. And it's the same thing. In the fullness of time, Jesus has come. And guess what? When God looks at you, he never inspects you. See, most of you have been getting tripped up in your faith because you think God is inspecting you. And here's a news flash. You will never cut it. You better be glad God inspects the sacrifice. So guess what? God inspects Jesus and he is fully satisfied with Jesus. And because of that, he is fully pleased with you. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 1 verse 6 onwards, he calls you the accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. In what Jesus did, God has accepted you. See, God is spirit and he sees in the spirit. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And you need to start looking at yourself that way. If you're going to have a working faith. Amen? Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. So sin separated man from God. But in the same chapter, in the same verse, as Isaiah is prophesying, in verse 20, he brings a solution. He says, but the Redeemer will rise from Zion. And he will redeem men from the slave market, from their sin. Amen? And he goes on to prophesy. If you want to check it out, we can go to... Isaiah 54, from verse 8 to 10. This is the prophetic words Isaiah began to give about the coming Messiah. And he came and instituted what I like to call the new covenant, which is established on better promises. Amen? A better covenant established on better promises. He says in Isaiah 54, uh, verse 8 to 10, In a little wrath I hid my face. Just a little wrath. You know why? Because God is just. He had to... Look at sin a certain way. And he says, in a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for how long? Just for a moment. But with everlasting kindness. Now he's talking about the life after Christ. Amen? After what Jesus did on the cross. He said, but with everlasting. How long is everlasting? Amen? He says, with everlasting. Eternal kindness. I will have what? I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wrath with thee, nor rebuke thee. That's the King James of, uh, uh, way of saying, as the same way I swore to Noah that I would never flood the whole earth again and destroy man, it's the same commitment I'm making to you that I will never, ever, ever get ticked off with you. This is God speaking. God is saying, I would no longer cover the, 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 the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be what? Angry. I didn't hear that. Angry. God said, I have sworn. And he saw, swore with himself. See, when you and I want to swear, we can swear with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with something bigger than you. You know, you can swear with your mom. 
I swear, I swear with my mother. <laughs> you can swear with the stars by the moon and the stars in the sky. <laughs> I swear, I swear. You can swear by things that are greater than you. But because God has nothing greater than him, he swore by himself that he would never be angry with you. Pastor T, what if I mess up? God has already made a commitment that he will never be angry with you. So there is nothing that you can do to stop God from loving you when you are accepted in the beloved. There is no sin. Now watch this. This is going to trip you up. It's going to mess you up. But that's exactly what I'm trying to do. There is nothing, no sin that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that will stop God loving you. It's called an everlasting kindness towards you. He even gave you a rainbow. For you and I, the rainbow does, you know, it it talks about Noah. But for the greater part, it talks about God's... It doesn't talk about, you know, the stuff that they're trying to use the rainbow for. For a moment, I almost got disgusted with the rainbow. Because I was thinking, man, the rainbow is a bad thing because it represents him. No, the rainbow represents the love of God and the kindness of God. It's a perversion when they take the rainbow and make it represent uh, uh, what they're making it represent these days. Amen? I said amen. Amen. (laughs) Glory to God. There's nothing you can do to stop God from loving you as his child, but there's definitely something you can do to stop you from loving God the way you should. See, because sin stops you from receiving from God. Sin makes your heart numb. To be sensitive to the love of God. So sin does not affect God. Sin affects you. Amen. Amen. I said amen. And sin is just dumb. Sin is stupid. You know why? Because Jesus extinguished the power of sin. Jesus took away the power that sin had before he came and died on the cross. Now sin has no power over you. Now you can no longer say... Pastor, something made me do it. No, you did it because you wanted to do it. You know why? Because sin cannot grab a hold of you and force you to do stuff. Because Jesus extinguished the power of sin just the same way he extinguished the power of sickness, just the same way he extinguished the power of poverty over your life. Amen. So with an everlasting kindness, he says, I will love you. I will not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart, the hills shall be removed, but my kindness, someone say God's kindness. kindness. He says, my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord that has mercy on you. God, right now we live in what is called the grace covenant or the covenant of peace. This is why when the angels came to uh, Mary announcing the coming of Jesus, they said, peace on the earth. Because what Jesus brought on the earth was peace. Not peace amongst men, but peace between God and man. Because there was a war going on. Because of the separation. And when Jesus came, he said, now you have been reconciled to God. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says God has reconciled us to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we can also go and start telling others, you know what? God has reconciled us to you. He has reconciled himself to you. 
and now they have to reconcile themselves to God. God is extending an olive branch, but we have to respond to God. Amen? I said amen. amen. Let us go now to Romans. But before we go there, let's go to uh, Isaiah 53 verse 1. After he says all these glorious things, watch what he says in Isaiah 53 verse 1. Thank you, Jesus. Look how he starts with the story. He says, who has believed our report? After everything that I've said, Isaiah is prophesying. And he gets to this part. He says, you know what? Who has believed such a glorious report? Who can believe such a a, a good news? That's the gospel. What I'm preaching to you today, that God's kindness will never leave you, that he'll never get angry with you. That's the gospel. And we need to measure in the gospel. He says, who will believe our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It is to us. That's the truth of the gospel. Going around and telling people they are going to hell is a scriptural reality. But it's not the gospel. And here I have to say, many people in the church have not heard the gospel. They've heard rules and regulations. Oh, for sure. But they have not heard the gospel. The gospel is Jesus came to die in your stead and his payment was accepted in heaven. And God's wrath was appeased. And now you can have peace with God. And not only that, unlike the Old Testament saints, now you can have fellowship with God. And God himself came to live on the inside of you. This is why we say greater is he that is on in me than he that is in the world. Because God himself now can have fellowship with you. That's That's the good news. Amen? And this is what we need to tell the people. That God has reconciled himself to you. It's your turn now to reconcile yourself to God. You don't have to earn it. Jesus paid the price. There was a sword hanging over your head. But thank God Jesus paid the price. Amen? Look what it says in John chapter number 12. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to read this fast. John chapter number 12 from verse 29 Uh, From verse 30 to 33. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Whose sake? Our sake. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. That's the judgment we read. How many sinned? All have sinned. And what happened to them? They fell short of the glory of God. And it's the same judgment that Jesus is talking about here. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, And if I, and I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what? The death he would die. Verse 32, Jesus said, And if I, and I be lifted from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That's what it says uh, in the original King James Bible, if you can, uh, uh, Brother Wedlock, in the original King James Bible. Jesus is saying, if I be lifted up on the earth, I will draw all men unto me. That word man, if you're reading in the physical Bible or in a red letter Bible, that word man was, it's in italics because it was added in by the translators. And now this verse has been used for evangelism. Jesus was not talking about evangelism primarily. 
If you take out that word man, which they added in, he was talking about judgment. Jesus is saying, and if I, and if I be lifted from the earth on the cross, I will draw all judgment to me. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 33, he said this, talking about the death that he would die. Man, this is powerful. This is why we played the video we played uh, at the beginning. It is for you to see what kind of judgment went on to Jesus because he was lifted up on the cross. The judgment for sin went into his body. Sin was paid for. The judgment for sickness went into his body. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, talking about the uh, transaction on the cross called the divine exchange, he says he was wounded. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Amen? He was bruised for our iniquities. And they use that word bruised because what they would do is they would take the the shambok that they used to, you know, give the strikes, the whip, and they would tie all kinds of things in front of the whip, glass and bones and so on and so forth, to cause maximum damage. And Jesus got 39 stripes according to the law of the Romans. And he's saying here, the, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So not only did he pay for sin, he paid for sickness. And he died on the cross naked. Can you imagine the God that owns everything in heaven and in the earth? He died on the cross naked. What was that? It's a signifying poverty. He who was rich became poor on the cross. He bankrupted himself so that you through his poverty might become rich. He took your condemnation. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation. What condemnation is? Guilt. Jesus took away your guilt. So you don't have to walk around living a life that's guilt-ridden. Because of the stuff that has happened in the past, Jesus took away the guilt. He took away the condemnation. And when you try to take it back from him, the lawyers call it double jeopardy. You're paying for something that's already been paid for. You are serving a sentence that's already been served. And it's sad to say a lot of people live their lives not in the freedom of our salvation, but in the double jeopardy of religion. Because they're saying Jesus paid for it. I also want to pay for it. In fact, Jesus in the payment. Man, you don't even want to talk about the cross. You don't even want to talk about uh, 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 dying for Jesus. You know why? Because this experience was so brutal that uh, uh, a motion picture didn't even depict what he experienced. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 verse 14, his face, his visage was marred beyond recognition. He didn't look like a human. Stroke after stroke going into his body of sin, of sickness, tumors, of anything that plagues man. He says in Isaiah uh, uh, 52 verse 14, he says that he was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. He didn't look like a human as he was making the payment for the Christ and he was lifted up and he drew all judgment to himself. So as it stands, God does not have any judgment for you and me. All of it went to Jesus the Christ. All we have to do now is to put our confidence and trust in Jesus. And when we do, we can walk scot-free because Jesus paid for it. Last year when we were having a drought in Cape Town, I had some, you know, famous preachers saying 
This is God judging Cape Town. No, God's judgment, God's wrath all went on to Jesus. God does not, we are in the dispensation of freedom, of grace, of love, of an invitation where God says, come and be my children. Amen? God is not judging people. He placed the judgment on Jesus. Does it mean sin does not have consequences? No, sin has consequences. But they don't come from God. They come because there are consequences for breaking the law. Just like if you walk off a tall building and you break your leg. It's not like God was sitting in heaven and saying, okay, let's go and strike that one. You just went on the wrong side of the law. Amen? I said amen. Let's go now to John chapter number 19. We're going to read from verse 29 to 30 as we close. John 19. Thank you, Jesus. He says in John 19, 29 to 30, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put a hyssop and put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Jesus met the standard and declared, It is finished. Jesus met the standard of the law and declared it is finished. What was finished? What was finished was the dispensation of the law. Amen? And he was bringing into inception the dispensation of grace. When he said it is finished, he was not talking about the whole plan of salvation is finished. Because he still had to perform the act of redeeming us. And the Bible says the same one who ascended went into the depths of hell and set liberties free. Amen? I said amen. Amen. Are y'all here? So when Jesus said it is finished, in the Greek tetelestai, he was saying paid in full. So Jesus did not just make a big deposit on your salvation. He overpaid it. A lot of people feel like Jesus just made a big deposit and they have to make monthly installments. By praying the rosary, you know, you must make your monthly installment. If you miss your monthly installment, you know, they're doing all kinds of stuff to try and get monthly installments in. No, Jesus, tetelestai, it is finished. He said, paid in full. One drop of Jesus could have paid for the whole sins of the entire world. But because of his love, he shed his whole blood. So he double paid it. If you read in Isaiah, he says he paid the ransom twice. So that there is no chance to miss it. That's the gospel. When you put your confidence and trust in Jesus, you can begin to enjoy the benefits of his salvation. Amen? And when he had said it is finished, paid in full, the demands for justice have been satisfied, that which the blood of bullocks couldn't do. And he did it once for all eternity. It goes on to say in Matthew 27 verse 50 as we close. Matthew 27 verse 50 to 51. Jesus, when he had cried out with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, someone say behold. Behold. In other words, he's saying now pay attention. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. So what the Old Testament saints couldn't do, you and I can do in Jesus. The veil represented a separation between God and man. Amen? 
And this veil, I know we use the word veil, but this veil was 20 meters you know, tall and about 10 centimeters thick. So this is a blanket. This is about five two-in-ones in terms of thickness. I mean, this is not a lace. You know, usually when you read, speed read through the Bible, like a veil, it got torn. Maybe it was old. <laughs> no, this is a thick blanket. And the Bible says, when Jesus said, paid in full, that which separated man from God was removed. And you know what it says in Hebrews 4, 16? It says, because of that, let us go in boldly. See, when you realize what Jesus did and the payment he made, there's going to be some boldness in your prayers. You know, this prayer, maybe prayer, God. It's because people don't realize the payment that was made. When you realize the payment that was made, and when you realize that sin no longer has dominion over you, when you realize that, watch this, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you become bold. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked run when no one pursues, but the righteous shall be as bold as lions. When you realize your righteousness in God, you will be bold in your faith. You approach demons and say, come out! In Jesus' name. Puma! You approach sickness and say, you have no right to be in this body. Therefore, I'm serving you an eviction notice. You approach poverty with a reckless liberality in your generosity. Because you know poverty can't have dominion over your life. Because Jesus already paid for it. The reason why people are not bold, Christians especially, they're not bold, is because they don't realize I'm the righteousness of God. Someone shout, I am, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Shout, there is nothing I can do that can make me unrighteous. See, people mix holiness and righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. You can never attain it. And once you receive that gift, it produces a lifestyle of holiness. Just because I may not act holy does not mean my righteousness is compromised. I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Someone shout, me too. See, what the enemy wants you to do, he wants to drag you. And for most of you, he's been winning the battle of life because he's been dragging you into the realm of feelings and emotions. See, the things of God have nothing to do with how you feel. They've got everything to do with what Jesus settled on the cross. If I gave you a, a title deeds to a property and you wake up the next day not feeling so good, who's the owner of the house? But I don't feel good. I don't feel like it's my house. Who's the owner of the house? You still don't, as long as you have the title deed, you're still the owner of the house. But here's what the enemy has done. He has dragged the church into the realm of feelings. And I feel like I'm not healed. It's got nothing to do with the feeling. What does the title deed say, dummy? You better learn how to read the title deeds and go with the title deed. It doesn't matter how it feels like. Jesus has already paid for it. And now we have access to God. The Old Testament priests would go into God's presence with fear 
and trepidation. In fact, as the priest went in, they would tie bells on his uh, 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 clothes, on his robe, and then they would tie a rope on his leg, just in case he does not make it. Just in case he makes a mistake and he dies, then they would have to drag him out. That was the Old Testament. Over here in the New Testament, we can walk in boldly. Anybody ever flown economy? You ever been on a plane and you're in the economy section? Anybody? Anybody? I know most of you fly first class, business, basketball. I received that. I used to fly. Here's what usually happens. When you get on the plane and you're in the economy section, that was the Old Testament. Old Testament. It was the economy section. I want you to see this. When you reach, when you reach a cruising altitude, what the air hostess usually do is that they get up and they close the veil. Anybody remembers? They close the veil. And I asked Pastor Trevor, because Pastor Trevor told me, he said, Pastor T, I went in there. Because you know the company that he worked for said you, if you're flying further than five hours, you have to fly business. And he came back when he had flown business. He said, Pastor T, I went in there. You won't believe what they're doing there. <laughs> I said, What do they do? He said, They give you a real menu. I said, For real? He said, Yes. Because over here. Where we are, they, they don't give you a menu. You, you already know. They just ask chicken or beef. Ch- chicken or beef or vegetarian. And you know, based on the price you pay, not to ask what kind of chicken. Because you're going to get the loot. And that's who we were before Jesus. We couldn't even ask fully. You know why? Because the prize was just a small goat. So Jesus came, said it is finished, the veil tore in half, and now he says, come on in to the throne room of grace. Leave economy and come into first class where you can get a menu better known as the promises of God and now you can sit there and start choosing and picking. And some of you, all you need, you've transitioned to come into first class. Your only problem, there's only one problem, is you can't read the menu. And I, I you know, I used to be a victim because, you, know, you know, I grew up poor, grew up in a three-roomed house, used to sleep under the kitchen table. So, you know, uh, when I got married to my wife, we had a challenge. Every Friday we'd find a nice restaurant to just experience the city because we were both new in the city when we were dating. And man, I would go to some of these fancy restaurants and I can't read a thing on the menu. And I'm like, chicken kaso kase ka. What's this, honey? She's like, no, man, that's just roast beef. Don't worry, it's a fancy word for roast beef. <laughs> Amen. And some of you, when you come here and you hear that Jesus has eternal life for you, what's that? That's my job as the pastor. To show you it's nothing but his love for you. It's nothing but the Zoe life for you. It's nothing but his healing. It's nothing but his prosperity. It's nothing but his righteousness. And he has already paid it for you. All you have to do now is order. Can't be quiet. 
That's what we're going to be talking about next week. Learning how to talk. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Come on, why don't you for about 30 seconds begin to thank him for the payment that was made in full. Begin to thank him for the gift of righteousness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you that you paid for our healing. Lord, I thank you that you paid for our healing. Lord, I thank you that now we can walk in divine health. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you that sin no longer has dominion over us. Thank you that we are accepted. There is no condemnation. Thank you, Father, that we can be in fellowship together. We are reconciled to you. Thank you, Jesus, that we do not lack any good thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us your one and only begotten Son. And if you could give us Jesus, how shall you not by Him give us all things? Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that they may have a revelation of this love. What kind of love? That a friend would die for his friends. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you that I do not have to earn my own righteousness. I can put my trust in Jesus. And thank you, Jesus. That I am not abandoned. That I am, I am your child. Thank you, Father. That I have access in the throne room of grace to obtain help and grace in times of need. Lord, we thank you and we give you all the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone say it, amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.